is uh, hey Russell, is, is that mic on? If not, okay, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting a little feedback in here, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. So. I could be wrong. So. All right, well, let's, uh, as we prepare to, um, uh, as we come to the word, uh, we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke today, chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. You can find it on page 874 in the Pew Bible. I'll also bring it up on the screen. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to, with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, if any of you, any, uh, sorry, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. In the late 1700s, there was a... Uh, odd friendship that sprang up between two famous men. Uh, one was the founding father, Ben Franklin, and the other was the Anglican preacher, George Whitfield, who would come to America and speak and preach to large crowds outdoors. Ben Franklin was not a believer, but he did enjoy Whitfield's preaching style. It moved him and he he enjoyed it, and he became friends with the preacher. But after Whitfield died, Franklin stated very clearly that while they enjoyed a wonderful friendship, he still did not believe the gospel. And, the, and so Ben Franklin proved that even being friends with George Whitfield, being near George Whitfield, and saying, I enjoy George Whitfield's preaching, doesn't necessarily mean that he was a convert of George Whitfield, more, uh, even less a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, in the last several weeks, we have spent a lot of time with the Pharisees and Jesus' confrontations with the Pharisees, which crescendoed in that uh, dinner that he had with them that took us two Sunday mornings to get through. And now, and now Jesus has left a hostile situation with the Pharisees and entered a much friendlier one. Luke tells us there were great crowds 
following Jesus. And observing this, Jesus decides to start lighting into them too. In a way that would drive them away. But this highlights an important point that Jesus wants us to understand, which is that simply because somebody likes Jesus and doesn't criticize Jesus like the Pharisees does not mean they understand Jesus or that they are a true disciple of Jesus. Certainly, these people were impressed by Jesus. They thought well of Jesus and so on. But apparently, Jesus knew that they did not understand what it meant more importantly, what it cost to be his disciple. So to remedy that problem, Jesus clarifies what discipleship requires, and he shares, the, in doing so, the danger of rash discipleship. And so first, let us consider uh, uh, Jesus' clear-eyed discipleship that he presents to us in verses 25 through 33. And there are two aspects here of discipleship that Jesus clarifies for us. The first is that uh, his followers must be devoted disciples, completely devoted disciples. And this is actually verses 25 through 27 that he explains this. Now, by devoted, I don't mean emotional or enthusiastic. Rather, as Jesus uh, says... Uh, Unless one does not hate his own immediate family, even his own life, he cannot be his disciple. Now, Jesus is obviously not advocating uh, for uh, hatred of one's family for its own sake. But he is rather saying that when there is a choice to be made between him and our immediate family, who that immediate family who would require us to choose between them and Christ, require us to abandon Christ or them, then we must, in that instance, hate our family. When it comes to our devotion and loyalty compared uh, between Christ and our immediate relations, it must be as though we hate them by comparison. Examples in the Old Testament are helpful here, uh, such as uh, Jacob, who the scriptures say uh, loved Rachel but hated Leah, his other wife. Now, did Jacob actually despise Leah? Like if she came in the room, he'd be like, ew, get out of here, kind of kind of despising. Did he have a furious, seething hatred of her? No, he didn't. But rather, he treated Rachel in such a way, he loved her in such a way that when she was compared to Leah, it was as though he hated his other wife. And so Matthew Henry explains here, it's not that the persons of the immediate family must be in any degree hated, but that our comfort and satisfaction in them must be lost and swallowed up in our love of Jesus Christ. Further, Jesus says, we must also even hate our own lives. That is, if it becomes between, uh, for, comes down to a choice between death and life for the sake of Christ, we would despise our life and embrace death for the sake of Jesus. 
This is compounded by verse 27 where Jesus says that anyone who will not bear his own cross cannot come after him as a disciple. Now keep in mind, Jesus means something somewhat different uh, uh, when he says bear your cross. If you're an audience member who hears Jesus saying you must bear your cross, they're going to hear something very different than a modern audience hearing you must bear your cross. Because a modern audience says, well, you, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to struggle. You're going to have to do hard things. But when, a mod, when an ancient audience, when Jesus' audience hears, you must bear a cross, guess what they think you, he means? You have to bear a cross. You have to carry the cross beam of your own execution to the place where they will nail you to it. Crucifixion was not a metaphor in the ancient world, as Jesus would no doubt experience in which he knew. He is saying in stark terms that his crowd understood and that we need to understand. He is saying not metaphorically, but literally Unless you are prepared to die scorned and despised by the world, you cannot be my disciple. That's what he said. He clearly has not read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But we need to ask ourselves, who can demand such devotion as this? Who can demand people to give them loyalty above their own immediate family about which the New Testament says that if you do not provide for your immediate family, that you're worse than an unbeliever. Right? The the, the immediate family is important. It matters. We have obligations to our immediate family. So, So who can demand loyalty above that relationship? Who can demand loyalty above my own life? An existence. I mean, self-defense is one of the few things in which you can kill other people and not get in trouble for. Right? Why? Well, my life was being threatened. I was an immediate threat for my life. So I responded with deadly force because it's like, well, I can get away with killing someone. Why? Because my life was threatened. I mean, think about that. But Jesus says, you must despise your own life for my sake. The Bi- in the Bible... The only one, the only one who could ask for such devotion as that was God himself. In fact, one scholar wrote that Jesus' words here are simply a restatement of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me, including your family and your very life. You will worship the Lord your God and him alone. And so here Jesus is saying to, to, that to be his disciple demands that we would give him absolute supremacy in our lives. And secondly, uh, we are called not only to be devoted disciples, but calculated disciples. Calculated disciples. Verses 28 to 33 Calculated there, I put in the past tense on purpose. Um, uh, My voice is almost back. 
but Jesus gives us two, two illustrations here of what he means. First, a builder, and then secondly, a king going to war. Now, any competent builder would, uh, would plan in advance to ensure that he had enough resources to complete his project. You've done this on smaller scales at your own home, or if you've built your house or you're building a home, uh, you've, been, you've been or gone or are going through this. Um, and now, apparently, several years earlier, around 27 AD, uh, a large amphitheater had collapsed due to uh, faulty construction. Uh, apparently, poorly built and partially finished structures were not uncommon in that day, and it was not only deadly, but it was also humiliating to whoever built it. The second illustration Jesus gives is of a king who is thinking about going to war, and he's got 10,000 troops, and the guy he's going to go to fight with has 20,000 troops, and so he's thinking about what are my odds. If he believes that he can't win, then he's going to seek out terms of peace, which may be painful, but at least you get to continue breathing. Both of these illustrations that we have to be careful uh, should not be overthought or overanalyzed, as many a commentator or want to do, and I know that because I read them. But these illustrations are, communi- are basically communicating the same point. Now that Jesus has clarified the great cost of being his disciple, supreme loyalty to him, potentially including the cost of family relationships or your very life, you really need to stop and consider if you're willing to pay that cost. And you think about it. You know, it, it, uh, it, it, it's like if you, uh, you know, has anyone here already planned their funeral? Like they've gone to it, they've bought like the package, <laughs> you know? And so what do you do? You go, you sit down, and you find out how much is the casket, what are the different, oh, I can do embalming or I can not be embalmed. I've got to get buried fast if I don't do the embalming. Or you can do like, what's the cheaper option? What's this or that? You know, you go through. And at the end of the day, there's a price tag, right? It costs, it's going to cost this much money to bury you. And so, and, and, and you got to think through all the things that go with it. There's a bottom line you have to pay. Well, likewise, Jesus is saying that being his disciple has a bottom line. It may very well cost you everything in this earth and in this life. And if you were going to be his disciple, if you're going to call yourself a disciple of Christ and live like a disciple of Christ, well, then you need to reckon with that cost. This is what he means when he says in verse 33 that, uh, that if anyone who does not renounce all that he has, who doesn't essentially say goodbye to everything he has for the sake of Christ, cannot be his disciple. He doesn't mean you have to throw all your stuff away. He's saying uh, you have to be prepared to give it all up. And the question comes down to us is what price are we prepared to pay to follow Jesus? $100? Is $1,000? Is it our home? Is it our life? What is it? Is there something that could be taken from you? That if God took it, you would walk away from Jesus shaking your fist at him. Is there a hardship that could be brought upon you that you would leave cursing the name of God? 
Is there a relationship in which that person came to you and said, in effect, it's either Jesus or me that you would pick them over Christ? Jesus isn't saying that every disciple will have to make these choices in their, you know, for instance, in their, like, in their family and picking relationships and choosing Christ over certain relationships, but some will. He isn't saying that every disciple will have to face life or death, either renouncing Christ or martyrdom, but some will. Are you prepared to pay the cost? Are you willing to pay the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Christ? There was a time not that long ago when missionaries would pack their belongings in their own coffin to ship them across the seas to Africa and other places because they knew it was a one-way trip. They calculated the cost. Have you and I done the same? It's a sobering question. It was a rough question. It was a rough question to sit and wrestle with myself. Paul says that it's better to be with Jesus than to live on the earth in Philippians chapter 1. Do we believe it? He says that his heart's desire is to be in heaven with Christ, but because the church needs him, he will continue in the body until his course is run. Do we have that same perspective as self-proclaimed followers of Jesus today. Jesus wants us not, he's not pulling the wool over our eyes. We want to pull the wool over our eyes, right? We want to say it's going to be easy. We want to say it's not going to cost that much. It's not going to be that hard. Jesus is there ripping the wool off of our eyes and saying, no, you need to see what this may cost you. You need to take it into account because he knows the danger of rash disciples. As he tells us in verses 34 to 35. And he does so by explaining to us the purpose of salt. Salt has a very distinctive quality. It's an ancient mineral that's been used for a long, long time. Uh, we tend to boil like, like salt water to get our salt. They would uh, get it from the marshes and salt lakes uh, there. Uh, but if it somehow became compromised, uh, all you could do was just to mix it in the mud and just walk on it in the street. That was all it was good for, was just being basically fodder to be trod upon. Uh, and because the very essence of salt is its saltiness, right? It doesn't have a ton of things going for it, but salty, man, there you go, right? Uh, and so if salt loses its very essence, its saltiness, then what good is it? You ever try to use a bucket with a big hole in it? Right? It's like a window with a big with a window with a big hole in it. And Jesus' point is that unsalty disciples are pointless. What's the point of being a disciple of Christ if you're not willing to pay the cost? If you don't understand the cost, because then you can't live as a disciple of Christ. Now, what is an unsalty disciple? Well, actually, I, I would not, uh, I would not, I would not say that um, a uh, a a um, an unsalty disciple um, is uh, an actually a true believer. I would say that they are probably a false believer. They're simply an outward professor uh, who says, yeah, Jesus thing, that sounds good. I'll get in with that. And they don't count the cost. They don't. 
And so, uh, and so, and so, what happens when, in an emotional moment, someone goes to follow Jesus, but they don't, in time, consider the cost of following Christ, and then that cost gets asked of them? They leave. They abandon Jesus. They say, "This isn't what I was. I signed up for. I gave. I did some nice things. I, you know, I participated. I, I said the right words. I went to Sunday school. I went to church. I did the things." But, but the cost is too high, and so I won't do it. How many people have come into churches claiming to be followers of Jesus, but when it got hard, when things started going badly, as soon as affliction or conflict came up, as soon as they got in some sin and they were confronted with it in church discipline, they ran off. And they leave, and, and it's interesting because they leave then going, well, I was a true believer, but all that Christian stuff is nonsense, garbage. But if you were a true believer, if you were a true disciple of Christ, you would have counted the cost and you would have paid it. And so the, the big question we have to consider today is, will you come after Jesus? Will you be his disciple? When I was 18, I, I was meeting with the Marines recruiter, and he did that thing where they, they like to do it. They don't do the thing where they're like, well, we've got these great benefits, and oh, it's, it's going to be so great for you if you come join, stuff like that. Marines do it a whole other route. They go, and they're like, not sure if we want you. We only want the best, so that may not be you. You know, and just kind of, you know, I'm 18. I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm going to jump on out there. Right, and so, um, you know, is that what Jesus is doing here? Is he guys doing like kind of a sales pitch, kind of, you know, we only want the best disciples, kind of? No, he's not. His desire isn't to turn people away. His desire isn't to run off a bunch of people from him, but to deepen the commitment of his disciples, to get them a clear-eyed picture, give us a clear-eyed picture of what it may cost us to follow him. You know, if someone comes to you, if I came to you and I demanded the kind of loyalty that Jesus demands, I'm a cult leader, all right? But the reason that he can demand this type of devotion, this type of, that we pay this kind of cost and do this type of cost analysis is that he is God in the flesh. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He's the only one who can demand this of us. You know, to become a member of our church, we did. You heard the member vows today. Uh, but to become a member of our church, you have to go through the Bailey Basics course, and, and and it gives you kind of the basics about who we are as a church and what we believe as Presbyterians and what it means to be a member of the church. And we and we do that because we want we want people to understand what it means to be a member of. Uh, they don't. We want. We don't want people to join the church and kind of find out you know that we believe in election or we believe in something like that, and they go. I didn't know you believed that. Ah, you know, what is this? You know, like, I, you know, I, I didn't know any of this. We're like, no, all cards on the table here, all right? We want you to know exactly who we are. And even more, even more, Christ calls us as those who would follow him to consider what it means to be his disciple. Many people will claim to be a Christian and to follow Jesus because they just want to get in good with God and they want to have maybe an easier life. But Jesus says that to be his disciple may demand harder lives, more afflicted lives. It may demand everything, even our life. But the scriptures say it's worth it. He's worth it.
I've shared before how I came to faith when I was 16, but I came to faith. Uh, the way that God brought me to faith was uh, coming out of suicidal depression. I didn't believe my life was wor uh, worth living at all, despite the advantages that I had. And I did have advantages, relationally and materially. But what it meant was, and the fact that I despised my life at the moment I became a Christian, was that becoming a Christian meant that I had, I, I completely view my life, and I have since that time, understand that my life has value because of God's creative work and his redemptive work in me in Jesus Christ. Everything I am, everything I have comes from him and is for him. And that, of course, is, I lose sight of that. That, of course, is mixed with the flesh and sin. But it is the fundamental way that I have view my life. It's all for Jesus. But there's always that temptation to partition my life off and to separate parts of my life, life off away from Christ, away from that which belongs to him. To say, well, this part's for me. But Jesus says that if we are his disciples, then all of it belongs to him. These words are a strong challenge from our Savior to his disciples. But they are his words. And for the disciples of Jesus, we are given eternal benefits in this life and the next. Benefits that we can only begin to contemplate and comprehend. And benefits which we will enjoy forever. But to be a disciple of Jesus requires more than just warm feelings about Jesus. And so Jesus invites you and I this morning to evaluate our commitment to him as his disciples. We must be devoted to him above all and willing to pay the cost, even if it means our very lives, to follow him. And so to all of us today who would call ourselves disciple of Jesus, have you counted the cost of following the Lord? And would you be willing to pay it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't do the bait and switch, that Christ does not surprise us with what, uh, what it may cost us, but rather he is up front and shows us. And Lord, we are reminded that for us to, be, to truly be his disciples, required him to give up his own life, in which he does, which he did. And so, Father, we pray that as we consider and take stock of our own lives, our own commitment as followers of Christ, and as the things come up before us that show us our unfaithfulness, that show us our lack of devotion, lack of commitment, Father, we pray that we would repent of those things. We pray, Lord, that we would hold those things up to you and say, we have them. We give you thanks for your gifts, but we, these are yours if you want them. If you must take them for us to follow Jesus, then take them away. For we are disciples of Christ. We are his. All of us, not just part, not just some of our days, not just some of our things, but all of them, even 
our very lives. And Lord, may you use us. May you train us up. And may we rejoice in the glories and wonders of your blessed son, our master. And may you lead us that we may be faithful disciples and that we may, by your grace and power, bring other disciples into your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.